Hello and welcome to the Hoops Stradamus podcast off-season series in the weird little ether where we aren't necessarily in season three anymore, but it's not season four. Uh, you could call these all bonus episodes, a special bonus when you get Kurt Schroeder uh, on the program. Huge for the program, really. Uh, copyright Kurt Schroeder. How are you doing, Kurt? Oh, outstanding, Adam. The weather is great. We're right in the middle of summer for TV, which is supposed to be the, the slow time. But uh, we got golf tournaments. We got uh, college football fall camp starting next week. So it's been chaos. How are you, buddy? You know, I, I feel that uh, a big thing for this time of year is coworkers love their vacations. And that's fine. Oh, yeah. I'm not complaining about it. I take vacations too. I have a vacation coming up. But it's like it'll be a slow time of year, but all of a sudden you work six days in a row. It happens. So, uh, yeah, a lot of baseball out here in Fargo um, and uh, you just stay bobbing and weaving man that's that's life yeah uh, so reason we're having you on besides you being a fantastic modern gentleman is uh, the Boston Celtics you know you, you've been a big fan your whole life and uh, we've been doing these offseason check-ins and because of your busyness, we didn't get to get you in right away, but it's about damn time me and you talk some Celtics. Uh, let's start where they left off. I got to admit, I did not see this team going to the NBA finals like until later in the year. I'm like, oh, dang. It was before the play- right before the playoffs started. They picked up Derek White, and I'm like, they're starting to look really good. Uh, but there were times, especially like, the last Brad Stevens year where I'm like, what even is this? So uh, what were your feelings as a Celtics fan this season and kind of seeing them get to that point? Yeah. At the beginning of the season, it was terrible. I mean, they were unwatchable. I think, uh, I can't remember what the date was. It was like mid January. I want to say where they were three games under 500 and exactly what you're talking about. You're looking at them and you're like, it just doesn't make sense. There's a lot of talent on there, but the results aren't what we think that they are. And I think ultimately what happened is they got rid of so much dead weight. You know, uh, I almost called him Cantor. Uh, Freedom uh, got shipped out of town. Uh, Cousin Dennis, Dennis Schroeder, he got shipped out of town. Josh Richardson was a really nice piece, but at the same time, just wasn't a good fit or they needed to get rid of him along with uh, uh, Hernan Gomez or Bo Cruz, depending on however you want to define him. Uh, they, they got the dead weight out of town. And I think that that tightened up the rotations. Um, you know, they were calling each other out all season too. Marcus Smart needed some accountability with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, I think there are a lot of talks that I don't know why, but it's been happening for a few years now. Oh, you got to split up the Jays. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they can't play together. Well, whatever happened, I don't know if it was Udoka, if I don't know if it was calling people out. I don't know if it was just getting rid of the dead weight, but they finally found their groove really started to buy in defensively at the end of the season, uh, that stretch where they were playing well, I believe they were the number one defensive team and the number two offensive team in the entire league. So you get those two factors going for you. You're going to play some great basketball. And as we made our way through the playoffs, you know, let's call it what it is, Adam. They definitely lucked out with the Milwaukee Bucks, not having Chris Middleton. Right. Um, and then 
when you got into that next series against Miami, I don't think that they took Miami all that seriously because that series should not have gone seven games. And shoot, Miami was one three-pointer away from possibly knocking and Miami off was pretty dinged up, too. Like, they were playing through it, but they were beat up. That was not a full-strength Miami team. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things where I kind of wish that the Celtics would have capitalized on this year because what are the odds the Bucks are going to be down their second-best player again? What are the odds that Miami is going to – to, I mean, the injuries for sure, but at the same time, like Jimmy Butler was just being playing out of his mind and he can certainly do that again. So when that happens, you got to take advantage, which they did. But yeah, I'm looking at the NBA finals and yeah, you didn't expect them to make the finals, So you're supposed to be feeling good about that. But at the same time as a Celtics fan, like in my opinion, at least I know the opinion of a lot of people, success is dictated on, did you win the title or did you not win the title? And when you're there, and you're up two games to one and you were playing well in the first half of uh, game four to take a three, one series lead. And you, you kind of fumble the bag there and uh, the Warriors come back. Steph was incredible. 47 points. I believe it was in that game four, but you had an opportunity to go up three, one on them. If you go up three, one on them, kind of hard to think that they lose that series. So it's kind of a, a give and take where, yeah, they shouldn't have been there. So it's cool that they were, but at the same time, Hey, you were there and you did have opportunities to win the dang thing. So it's kind of disappointing that you didn't. So, yeah, I mean, I, it just depends on a, you know, a glass half full or a glass half empty guy. And because I'm a pessimistic asshole, I'm the glass glass half empty guy. Not um, happy with a finals appearance. I, it's, it's so hard. Cause again, like before happy with the finals appearance, take it. Yeah, you like, you know, but before you mid-January, yeah, you would be happy with it. But afterward and seeing how good they were playing and how close they were yeah. and, you know, I guess not necessarily what needed to happen, but what certainly could have happened in that game four to take a 3-1 series lead, I feel like it was a lot closer to winning it than maybe people thought. So I don't know. In my opinion, it's a disappointment. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's not like they blew the whole thing up and we won't see this for a while. I'm cross. Crossing my fingers here, Adam. I hope that they're back sometime soon. Well, what's weird is like they went from this team that was a little below 500 to a favorite in the finals against the team that's had multiple championships. Like, granted, this is a slightly different version, uh, but then to see them the favorite, uh, I want to circle back to a couple things. The first thing is uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I am just going to call out the masses here. Chill out. All right. Like have some patience. They've how many conference finals did they go to? Like people get so bent on fixing things that sometimes don't really need fixing. Like, sure, they haven't won a championship yet, but how young are they? Like they're both realistically coming into their physical peaks, their physical primes. And oh, it's not working. It's not working. Have some patience. Like Jordan had to wait a long time before he got his first, you know, LeBron had to wait a long time before he got his first. And honestly, like it, I think it totally does work. Uh, but there's, yeah, maybe it's Udoka was kind of the guy who was able to uh, maximize the efficiency there. Uh, I do. I just love that Derek white pickup. I feel like he turned into uh, such a key, key piece, especially in that uh, Brooklyn series. He was just on a different planet 
uh, playing defense. And Josh Richardson is a nice player, but I think that was a key upgrade. And um, yeah, to tighten up some of those rotations, maybe help them establish a bit of an identity where, or I I shouldn't say establish, but uh, hone in. You know what I mean? The identity was established, but it, they really, uh, as you said, kind of cut the fat and they were able to um, truly flow with that identity going forward from that point on. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that is encouraging, and we'll get into it later in this episode, but everyone that was a key piece last year is back and then they added to it. So you see, you know, one year under Ime Udoka, yeah, I mean, that is a, a, a crazy ceiling to make it to the NBA Finals in a coach's first year in a season where they weren't playing well at the beginning of the season, but figured it out. They have established roles. I think everyone knows, and I, if you have two superstars on your team, don't blow it up. Like, that just doesn't make any yeah. sense. But now you know that it does work. I've certainly three Eastern Conference Finals this year, the bubble year, and then the one that they uh, took LeBron to Game 7 when he was in Cleveland – um, I think there might have been another one in there, another year where they made it. I can't remember. They all kind of just go together. Um, but the, it, certainly optimistic moving forward. And as you continue to build, continue to figure out what works, what doesn't work, another year under Udoka's system, it should be th- – th- this shouldn't be the ceiling for this team just making it to the NBA Finals. I, I hope that they can make it over the hump because the pieces are there, the coaching is there the uh, operations and in terms of getting the right pieces, getting contracts to work out. Brad Stevens has been phenomenal. It should continue to build up and, uh, you know, be on the right trajectory, I should say. Yeah. And it seems like they are, uh, you know, pulling up some of their stats, like second best defensive rating in the league. Um, You got Jalen Brown's turning. Jesus. He's just turning 24. Is this real? No, he's 25 now. Okay, so he he turns 26 in October. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tatum is 24. Okay, Tatum's 24. Uh, love seeing Al Horford back. Just a little side note there. Uh, he was a guy that I feel like people kind of forgot about. And yeah, he's old. He's not as quick as he used to be, but he's never been like super quick. Yeah, there were some times with the Hawks when he was a, a good athlete, but like the guy's game has never been pred- predicated over beating you in a foot race. But he kind of got lost in the shuffle. Uh, he was an awkward fit in Philly. And then um, Oklahoma City has been doing this thing where they'll like have good players, but won't really play them because they were kind of uh, quasi tanking, you know. Uh, but he had some good games with the Thunder. And then he comes into the Celtics. And I feel like he was kind of an afterthought for a lot of pundits. But he proved and I think you can make a strong case that he was the best player in that closeout game uh, for the Celtics. And what he brought back as an all-around defender, as a passer, as a shooter, and the hunger that he showed in those finals is a guy who's up there among the most playoff wins all time without a championship how badly he wanted you you could see uh by the way he was playing and um it also kind of creates a really interesting uh blueprint almost you know we are going to get into a little bit later about some of the 
offseason needs you'd like to see them address. But you're already seeing, you know, it's the small ball world. And now teams in free agency were kind of like, hey, let's let's see about some uh, going too bigs. Like, I don't know if, and I could be wrong, this is pure speculation, but I don't know if like the Timberwolves, for example, would have gone after Gobert to put him with uh, Cat because that's not really how things work in the modern NBA, but it's a copycat league and the Celtics really presented a lot of matchup problems and were able to dominate the glass at times by having Horford out there at the power forward. I, I liked that. Yeah, I think one of the things that was so funny about the Horford, you know, re-edition, because he obviously had been there before, right. was that was just a move to move Kemba Walker. And then they brought in Al Horford. And, you know, Horford's not a bad player by any means, but I don't think anyone expected him to be what he was. And so the, I think the one thing that was kind of missing from Al Horford's game was he would have these flashes of brilliance. He would get you, you know, 20 points, play really good defense, move the ball, step out and hit the three-pointer with tremendous consistency. And then there would be games where he'd go one for four with four points. And you're like, wait, what changed here? Like, so it was very hot and cold, very high, very low. And so me, you know, I kind of make like a fantasy football analogy. I'd rather have a guy give me you know, 12 and 10, then a 25 and 15, but then a four and two stat line the next night. So you go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that he definitely had a bigger role than I think people anticipated moving forward. I don't think that he's going to have the same role, which is fine because he's not a guy who should be playing 40 minutes and, you know, especially at his age and the way that he moves and how he stretches the floor. I think that he's better kind of in just a a more limited role. And I think that moving forward that he is going to be uh, in a better position to capitalize on those opportunities. So he's not getting winded and he's not um, maximizing kind of like his, his true potential at this point in his career. And I think that they're built to do that. Yeah. 29 minutes a game this year. That's, that's a lot for a guy who is 35 uh, until 48 days ago, he turned 36. So he's going to be 36 uh, this next season. Um, yeah, 25 minutes a game, I think is fair. I, I think that what he brings to the table is very, uh, very valuable. And so um, it'll be interesting to see how how they manage that. But it's funny you brought up the fantasy football thing because I was in a fantasy basketball league this year. Uh, as you know, is because you were on the the uh, the draft show, the live draft yep. show, and so if you remember, I took Horford very late in the draft, and I remember telling uh, who was on there with it. It was you and Hami. Mm-hmm. And I told you guys this this is a steal to get Horford this late, uh, but he was so boomer bust. I there were games where like. I'd start him and he'd do like four points and six rebounds and two steals. And I'm like, what the heck? And then there'd be a game where I didn't start him and he'd have 12 points, 14 rebounds, five blocks and three steals. And I'm just like looking at my bench, like why, why? Cause the format was you pick one game a week. And so, yeah, Horford, 
I feel like his impact was made no matter what. He always made an impact, but the stats weren't always there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, so one thing that I think was a problem for them, especially late in the game in the finals, was uh, Marcus Smart's shot selection. Uh, there was a game against uh, the Heat in the, I think it was the, the closeout game against the Heat, where he almost shot him out of the game. You know, he's taken these threes. He's never been a great shooter. And if you're a Heat fan, you're like, keep shooting, Marcus, keep shooting. Um, and then he's like, makes these comments about, you know, the team's looking for a true point guard. Well, I got him to the finals. It's like, yeah, man, you you were on the team, but you didn't get them there. I mean, you did. You were part of it. But, like, I hate the narrative of, like, led them and then – you know, uh, Brian Scalabrini led the Bulls. It's like he was on the team, you know, but Brown and Tatum got him to the finals. I digress. Uh, I'm getting into the Malcolm Brogdon pickup is what I'm doing right now, Kurt. Malcolm Brogdon, I feel like, fixes a lot of their issues. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon is a more of a true point guard than Marcus Smart. I want to take a small tangent here. Marcus Smart actually plays better when he is in the point guard role versus the two guard position, which okay. is kind of which is kind of problematic moving forward because, again, if you have Malcolm Brogdon, you want him at the point. You want him to facilitate. Um, he's a better decision maker. But at the same time, you know, Marcus Smart really flourished as the guy. I don't want to call him a floor general, but as the guy who brought the ball up. And in my opinion, yeah, he did take some bad shots. But at the same time, he's taken less bad shots than he did in years past. I mean, there were times. I'm going to pause real quick because you, you said floor general. And normally we use the term floor general as like someone who really is composed out there. And he, he's like commands the floor like a Kirk Heinrich. But floor general is perfect for Marcus Smart in a lot of different ways. He's aggressive. He is going to be the first one to start the fight. He's going to be out there. He's going to get you a technical every now and then. And he's a madman. He's a floor general. He's a floor warrior. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, not, not the guy who's going to get you into your offense for sure, but he's taking less bad shots than he did in years past, which was encouraging. Uh, in my opinion, the biggest issue with the uh, with the finals was they were so predictable. They kept going right. Draymond Green even called that out. He was like, yeah, the second that we made an adjustment to force them to go left, they still went right, went right into our defense. We're, you know, bitching for calls, looking for, uh, you know, contact, just, you know, weren't getting the foul calls but also to missing the layups when there wasn't a foul call. So, you know, that was, that was an issue. And then the turnovers, I mean, every time they had more than 15 turnovers, I think that they either won one game or they didn't win any games. And then when they had less than 15 turnovers, they only lost two games throughout the playoffs. So that was that magic number less than 15 turnovers. They were more likely going to win more than 15 turnovers. They had no chance. And in those games against the Warriors, I mean, you're looking at those stat lines it was consistently more than 15 turnovers in those games. And you get the worst team in the world to turn the yeah. basketball over on the Steve Kerr era warriors, no matter who they've had, because that they're that's how they kill you. They go on these runs, you turn the ball over a few times and all of a sudden they score 12 points in 48 seconds. Yeah, I mean, Steph and Clay in transition, Draymond, you know, if he comes up with a steal, which more than likely he would, and push the ball up the floor, tremendous IQ. That was what did them in, in my opinion. But getting back to Malcolm Brogdon, you know, this is a guy that had a 50-40-90 season. This is a guy that they got from the Pacers for nothing, Adam. Absolutely nothing. Brad Stevens, do not trade with the Boston Celtics. They're going to fleece <laughs> you. Um, 
So, you know, they, they unloaded a bunch of guys who weren't contributors. Aaron Neesmith, I kind of wanted to see him out. But at the same time, if you can get Malcolm Brogdon on a reasonable deal, um, you know, go for it. Daniel Tice was a DNP at the end of the season. Then they had a lot of this guy, like Nick Stauskas, um, Fitz, a bunch of guys on the end of the bench that weren't contributors. So you, you got rid of them. You got Malcolm Brogdon in the mix there. And one of the things I want to point out here, Adam, if you look at their rotation, you can go Brogdon at the point. You can go Smart at the two. Brown, Tatum, Robert Williams. That's a great starting five. But one of the issues they had in the playoffs was they didn't really get anything from the bench. Well, if you take a look at the bench now, you have Pritchard, who's up and coming. I know that he didn't really have as big of a role, but he hit some big shots um, early in the finals and then certainly had his moments earlier in the postseason. Uh, the two guard, you could have Derek White, who he kind of fizzled out in those in those finals. I mean, he had some, I think it was game one where he played really well, but outside of that, um, wasn't that big of a contributor. But at the same time, you know, we know what he is. He's a good piece. Super um, role player. Yeah, no, no complaints there. Grant Williams made kind of the biggest jump this season. I mean, he was a real three and D guy, uh, scored 27 points. And um, I believe it was uh, game seven against the Heat. So he played really, really well there. Um, and a guy who's like really, really gritty, going to talk his trash, get up in your face, not going to back down. Uh, the Gallinari edition, another guy who's not really going to be a great defender, but stretches the floor. Every team needs size and shooting and versatility. He gives you that. And then Horford, if you want to put him at the five off the bench, there's versatility there. You can insert him into the starting five. You can have him come off the bench in that center position. So, or I mean, you can play him with Williams too. Exactly. And so the, in my opinion, that's kind of nine guys for sure. I'm going to leave Pritchard out, but nine guys that you can count on. You bring in Pritchard into the mix, continue his development. That's 10 guys. And I know I'm getting real deep here, but I actually like this guy that they re-signed, Sam Hauser. Uh, he's a 43% shooter uh, from three in college. And I think that in limited minutes last year, he was around 43.9. So he's another guy that shoots the lights out when he does get his Just opportunities. Verify this, but yeah, Marquette guy. Yeah, and then transferred to Virginia. So he's played in some uh, you know, major conferences for major teams. Um, wasn't a contributor last year, um, but they did re-sign him. And uh, you know, he had his moments in summer league this year. But if you listen to some of the stuff that the guys have been saying, Grant Williams, for example, went on a podcast recently where he's like, dude. Like, this guy's the best shooter that I've ever seen. If you see him in practice, he doesn't miss. And if you look at the numbers, it's in limited minutes. But at the same time, 43%, 44% in the pros? No, I, mean, you're, I, you're I got to see that. this guy a little bit uh, it, during my time at DePaul. Like, the very end there, uh, you know, we went up to a game uh, in Milwaukee. And the dude is a, like, lights-out shooter, fine space. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little old for his age, but the dude, and he's big. He's big. Yeah, six, seven. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, who knows what he'll be. But, again, as you get deeper and deeper into your bench, you'd like more depth than not having depth. And uh, the kid out of uh, Alabama that they took in the second round, Davison, um, he had his flashes for sure. Um, turnover prone, you know, a guy that can give you a bunch of points, but also a lot of turnovers. But at the same time, there was a stat that stood out to me. I know it's summer league. I know you can't take too much away from this, but third highest assist per game number in summer league. And I think it was Lonzo Ball had like 9.5. 
And then I can't remember who was second, but Davison was more than eight assists a game in like summer league. And you're saying third best all so, time? Yeah, yeah. So if if this is a guy who keeps the turnovers down, who can move the ball, and I know expectations aren't high because he's the 53rd overall pick in the draft. So, you know, if you get anything out of a guy late in the second round, then kudos to you. But he has tremendous athleticism, great at moving the ball, just got to keep the turnovers down and play within the system. I like him. The only guy I don't like is Luke Cornett. He got a two-year extension. Couldn't tell you why. He's 7-2. Brad Stevens says he likes his game and then says that they're going to add another big. So you can't say that you like someone, but we're also going to add another guy to fit your position. So I'm out on Cornett, but everybody else, I kind of like the lineup. I like the depth. I like the skills. Um, It seems like everyone brings a little bit, uh, something a little bit different to the table. So they're, in my opinion, much better equipped than they were last year. But I, I still think that there's kind of a, an issue or two. Here, here's an issue. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon only played 36 games last year. And the last time he played 56 the year before, uh, we're not going to count the 2020 season. He played 54. I don't even know how many games were actually played that year. But, you know, then 64, 48, 75, that takes you all the way up to the beginning of his career. The guy has health concerns. And so I think that there is a little luck involved where you really need him healthy uh, for the playoffs. And I think that they need to edge or uh, be extremely cautious with his health because you got to get to the playoffs and you need him healthy to, I think, make another trip back to uh, the finals uh, because then it's like all the things we just mentioned that he brings to the table. It's like, well, the best ability is availability. Right. And so that is my concern. What do you, th- what do you think about that? I agree for sure. I mean, and one of the things that maybe they thought about was, Hey, because of these injury concerns, we need more depth. So, okay. you know, Pritchard at the point guard, again, you can move Marcus smart to that point guard position. So there is flexibility there. Derek White's also brought the ball up the floor. So they have depth at the, you know, point guard, I put that in air quotes just because there's so many moving pieces. I mean, we've seen Jalen Brown take the ball up the court. Tatum's brought the ball up the court. But, you know, they are definitely deeper at guard. The issue that stands out to me is size, Adam. You have Robert Williams as your center who is, okay, they still list him at 6'8". I was going to say, I've seen him at 6'9". But your center is 6'8", 6'9". Tatum is 6'8", but he's not really a front court player. He's a winger. Um, if you look at the depth that they have on the bench. Gallinari is a big guy, 6'10", but he's not crashing the glass. He's not a post-up player. He's also a guy who, uh, you know, is a wing player and, and can shoot. Um, Horford, again, 6'9", as your, you know, backup big per se. I know you can put him in the starting lineup for uh, if you want to go big, but coming off the bench, if they want to go small with their starting lineup, he's also 6'9". And one of the things that stood out to me, I know that in the regular season over the last few years, the Celtics have been in the top third of reboundings, uh, rebounding. Um, I don't know if you want to call it efficiency, but the numbers, you know, uh, on average per game, they're in the top third of the league when it comes to rebounding. But in the playoffs, those numbers have gone down, especially last year. They were in the middle of the pack in terms of rebounding per game. And there were just so many times where the teams that are consistently at the top there, the Warriors and the Bucks; those are not teams that you want to control the glass. You want to be able to control the glass on them 
because they are so dangerous in transition, so dangerous in getting to their sets and their spots. So it just concerns me when you have two guys that are 6'9", those are supposed to be the guys that are ripping down boards, and those are supposed to be the interior guys that are, you know, contesting shots and cleaning up the glass, and it just hasn't worked in recent years. And, you know, Celtics are not going to get this guy, but at the same time, I brought it up a couple of years ago, a guy that I really would have loved them to keep is Aaron Baines, a guy kind of like Kendrick yeah, Perkins. He's really old, but yeah, yeah, like when he was at the height of his powers. Yeah, a big, beefy seven-footer who is going to contest shots at the rim. He's not going to foul, and he's going to get the defensive rebounds. And, again, I just don't see that on the roster this year. Cornette is 7'2", so, and he's kind of slow-footed. So maybe he finds a role. I no, doubt it. That's not seeing the floor. I was going to say, I doubt it. But, like, you know, it's just so funny when they're like, okay, we need size. We need, you know, depth at the, at the center position. Oh, by the way. We like Cornette, but we're going to look in a different direction too. So, no, you're not sold on the guy. Just keep it real. Especially um, in the East where you're going against Joel Embiid and Giannis, like you do need something down there because they, yeah. they were able to create mismatches by being uh, versatile and interchangeable. And it's not like they're tiny out there, you know, but I think it's more important than it has been in a long time that if you want to be a good team in the East, you do need – like some serious power down there. Yeah. And Robert Williams, he had a knee injury. He played more minutes than he ever has in his career. Um, but again, when you got two guys who are six, eight, six, nine, that are supposed to be your centers that works for a, a, you know, one regular season game that might work in flashes. But when you're playing seven game series against, like you said, a seven footer, like Embiid, a 6'10", 6'11", guy like Giannis, who's consistently driving, consistently putting his elbow into people. You need more beef, more size, and more depth in the front court. And I ultimately think that that is going to be an issue moving forward for them. Okay. And, you know, in our, in our notes, in our little text exchange, you said that they're not going to come out of the East until they address this. In my opinion, yeah. I think that it's... Like to think that because you went to the finals that you're going to consistently go back there. I think that that is very far fetched. And again, I brought it up at the very beginning of the episode. They needed to take advantage of the fact that the Bucks didn't have Middleton. The Bucks yeah. took them to a game seven without Middleton. The Bucks are the and best I, team in the East still. Exactly. Exactly. And so that would be my pick, the Bucks, to make it out of the Eastern Conference until the Celtics address their front court, until they get more size, until they get better at rebounding in the playoffs. Because yeah, Middleton being out meant that Giannis got more opportunities and more shots, and that's something that you don't want to see if you're the opposition. But you have to imagine that Milwaukee is better with Chris Middleton than without Chris Middleton. And if you look at their roster, they're running it back too. So yeah. no reason to believe that the Bucks should be eliminated in the second round of the playoffs year after year like they were this year. And the Bucks are huge. Huge. Like the Bucks are the biggest team in the NBA. And I think, uh, you know, going into it, I thought it was going to be Bucks Warriors. Thought the Bucks might win that. But the Bucks are so scary because they can run with the Warriors. But they're also the biggest team in the world. Like the fact that they have Bobby Portis, who has turned into a really good shooter, not to mention uh, still a very good defender and rebounder. Um Ibaka, who's definitely in the twilight of his career, but fits 
that same kind of mold shot blocking spacer uh not to mention brook lopez and Giannis. you know it's, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches uh, they even tried out DeMarcus Cousins briefly, you know, um, but they have guys who fit what they do. And, um, you know, so I, I think I probably have the Celtics, maybe the second best team in the East, though, because I look at the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid's great, but injury concern. And I also wonder, like, what about your center death is Paul Reed? going to be the guy this year like he really hasn't played that much he's looked good in, in moments um the heat and the celtics are i feel like are that next tier the heat just weren't healthy well the heat are also in cap hell they can't really bring anybody in and so i think that the well uh heat culture is very real so i don't want to say that they're out of it but at the same time they have they, a lot of pieces they don't necessarily need to bring anybody in yeah but at the same time, like, I don't, I don't want to call their offense or defense kind of like a gimmick, but I mean, they got major contracts for guys that don't really do much. Like Duncan Robinson is making 90 million over the course of his contract. He was a DNP in that series. And Kyle yes. Lowry is, is a guy that didn't really give him a whole lot. I think that his charade is over. <laughs> like when the, refs, when, when the refs were realizing, Oh, wait, you're not hitting threes consistently. You're not getting to the hoop consistently. And I know that he was injured, but he's old. <laughs> he's old. Yeah. But you can't just flop around and get every single call. And when he wasn't getting the calls, Miami was just like, Oh shoot, this isn't working anymore. Um, but he's a guy that um, is making a ton of money and they just signed Oladipo to a friendly deal. Caleb Martin, who I absolutely love. He got a nice little deal. So they still have some of those pieces there, but they also have some of those bad contracts that they're not going to be able to unload because they don't have any value. So the guys that they would have liked to bring in, you know, maybe a Kevin Durant, not going to happen unless you find some sucker to take on Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry. Duncan Robinson for, and uh, Kyle Lowry for Kevin Durant breaking and the Nets also sending draft picks. Yeah, somehow. Uh, yeah, I don't see that one happening. Uh, so what are your expectations realistically for uh, the coming season? I think that, and again, we're just assuming that everyone is healthy. Um, I'm going to throw Brooklyn out because I don't think Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons will ever figure it out together. So I don't believe in the Nets. I, I was saying um, definitely to you, Adam, but I think in, in previous episodes where if those three can figure it out, I have the Nets winning the finals. I don't think it's realistic that they do that. So I would say at best Celtics, the second best team in the East. And if everyone's healthy, I would say that that means that you're not making it to the finals. If the Bucks are making it to the finals, being the better team. So I would say, unless something changes injury wise, you know, I, at this point, you're not really bringing in extra bodies, but maybe they figure it out. But I would say that their ceiling is kind of another Eastern Conference finals appearance until they get younger in the front court, bigger in the front court, and really address defensive rebounding in the playoffs. Because so many of those teams that they play that they played would get a ton of offensive rebounds. So size, youth, depth in the front court, that is where I think that the Celtics need to make that adjustment so that they can consistently be in the finals. Yeah. I think what I'm taking away from this uh, 35, 40 minute conversation we've had is 
they're a really, really damn good team, a really deep team, but some question marks. Uh, like they're elite. They're a contender. They're one of the best teams in the NBA. And it's interesting because you can have these conversations with, uh, let's say, a, a Charlotte Hornets fan. And they're like, oh, my God, we might make the playoffs. This is amazing. You know, like, let's go overpay for Gordon Hayward. Maybe we can sneak into the playoffs. Nice. You know, but then you have these conversations with a Celtics fan. And it's like, just another finals trip, you know. <laughs> yeah, standards are a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. And the Celtics have every right to have the highest standards of any the Lakers and the Celtics in the Warriors in the Bulls, I think are the four teams who have every right to expect greatness. You know, uh it, there's times when teams are rebuilding, but one thing since Brad Stevens came into the building, whether it be as a front office guy or a coach, they've always just been a team that moves the basketball well they kind of found their identity i said always and then i remembered like the game they lost to the wizards uh like in 2020 december 2020 and i'm like no no they have not always but they're usually pretty dang good you usually kind of know who they are um but now i think they do have the best pieces i i agree uh i think best case scenario with luck they get back to the finals but mm-hmm. realistically I think Brogdon plays around 50 games. I think that uh, Tatum does take a step forward because he got a lot of flack in the finals. I think he saw how much more he has to do. Um, I think Jalen Brown's the real dog. I think Jalen Brown's the guy who, um, I mean, he was their best scorer in that final game. And so I'm looking to see what they can do. Um I think one huge thing they have going for them defensively is how big they are. Uh, if you want to go Brogdon, Smart, Tatum, Brown, or you want to go Brogdon, Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams, uh, they're going to force a lot of turnovers. They're going to be a really good two-way team. They're going to be able to get out and run. Um, it's just what happens when they run into a Milwaukee or uh, even the Sixers if Embiid's healthy, that's a really deep team too. I probably have them right at that two and a half spot in the East right now. Yeah, one thing that they definitely need to do, in my opinion, is take advantage of where Jalen Brown is with his contract. He's got two more years on his deal, uh, around $27 million this coming season, 28-5 his next season. So that's still very reasonable for what Jalen Brown gives you. Yeah. So you got to capitalize in this, you know, definitely two-year window that they have um, before he gets another extension. And obviously that number is going to go up. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the two-year window, I think that that is realistic. But like you said, in my opinion, they need some breaks to make it back to the finals. I would agree. Well, that should do it for us here on the Hoopstradamus podcast. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time, boys and girls. 